I want to talk to you about tough times. We're still in the series, Tough Times, Tougher God. Can you say that with me? Tough times, tougher God. That means our God is greater than anything you're going through, than any tough time. Our God is greater. And last week I began to talk to you about guidance, talk to you about um, how God guides you, and I'm going to talk about it again today. Our God is the God who guides. That's the tithing verse, Marcia. We got them backwards today. So let's get the other one up there. Psalms, there we go. Let's read Psalms 32.8. The Lord says, read it with me, everybody. I will guide you. Now just stop right there. Say, thank you, Lord. You will guide me. It's a promise. I will guide you. And where does he take you? Along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Now look at the buzzwords in that verse. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to advise you. I'm going to watch over you. Those are great promises. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to our hearts. For, Lord, we need the guidance of God. Now, will you breathe a prayer, saints, and say, Lord, guide me. Guide me. Guide my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tell your neighbor while you're sitting down, God's going to guide you. Now, this is a powerful verse, one that I have read hundreds and hundreds of times in my Christian walk. I love that verse. God says, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to direct you with my eye. My eye is on you. Now, last week I shared with you there's two kinds of guidance. Let's look at them again. There is sovereign guidance and direct guidance. Now, what is sovereign guidance? Sovereign guidance is when God guides us unawares. I believe we have divine encounters that we weren't even aware God was leading us to. I believe that God directs the steps of his children whether or not we're aware of it. He says, I will direct your steps. That happens sometimes when you're aware of it, and I happen to believe in the providence of God that it happens lots of times when you're not aware of it. When you give your life to God, you become his possession. And our God is a providential God. He is a powerful God. And he is a God who guides the lives of his children. Now, you may not be aware that he's ordering your steps, but how many of you have ever looked back in the rearview mirror at something that took place and said to yourself, wow, God ordered my steps in that deal. I wasn't aware of it, but God ordered my steps. Well, we need to know that God is the God who guides. Now, if you missed last week, I encourage you to get the CD because you need to hear it. You need to hear both kinds of guidance and what we said about it last time. But today I want to talk to you about the second kind of guidance, and that's direct guidance. Direct guidance is when God guides you aware. When he guides you where you know it. Uh, when you're conscious of the Holy Spirit's leading. You're aware of it. Uh, he's prompting you. He's leading you. He's nudging you. There is, you have a sense that there is something that God wants you to do. And you know that it's not coming from you because you'd have never come up with it and you'd have never done it. But he's nudging you. Now I want to tell you, the guidance of the Holy Spirit often comes that way. It comes as a little nudge. It's that still, small voice. Can I tell you that God doesn't force you. God beckons you. The flesh forces you. 
the flesh makes you feel like you've got to do something. You're, you're rushed. You're in haste. You're not thinking clearly. And you act on something that later you end up regretting. But God beckons. God is gentle. It's a still, small voice. It's not a shout, rarely. God, the devil drives, but God beckons. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Direct guidance is when you're aware that God is telling you to do something. You may be sensing that right now today. You may be sensing, if you're a child of God, it's very possible. You're sensing that, that God is nudging you to go a particular direction. It may be in business. It may be a, a relationship, a friendship, a church. Do you know the last week 38 people joined this church? 38 people. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, that was the guidance of the Holy Spirit. See, people, if you're a child of God... You are subject to the guidance of God. You ought to expect God to guide you. You ought to expect God to speak to you. God, God did not go deaf and mute. Listen, he didn't do that when, when the first century passed away. If the devil can talk to you, you think God can't talk to you? God will guide you. God will lead you. And so if you're sensing it right now that God is nudging you to a certain direction, nudging you to do a certain thing, we're going to look at the possibility that that's him today. But in Acts 13, 1 through 4, I want to give you some examples here of how God directly guided people in the New Testament. Here it is. It says in Acts 13, verses 1 through 4, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Paul for a special job I have for them. The Holy Spirit said. Now, how did he say? Well, we don't know. If it was a still, small voice in their hearts, if it was a nudge on their hearts, if it was, it, we don't know how God made this clear, but I want you to notice something. The Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit is here today. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, is a guide. He counsels. He advises, he directs, he leads, he beckons, he speaks. So look here, here's the first missionary journey to take place in the New Testament. And the Holy Spirit said, and what did he say? He singled out two men, Paul and Barnabas, singled them out and said, I've picked Paul and Barnabas for this task. I want you to set them aside. And the whole thing was led by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God set it up. And I'm going to tell you something. Never do anything in ministry unless the Holy Spirit says. The Bible record goes on to show how the direct and conscious guidance of the Holy Spirit continued with these people. Listen to what it happened with Barnabas and Saul. It says, directed by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia and then sailed for Cyprus. Not only did the Holy Spirit select two men by name, but then he told them exactly where they were to go. He led them to a location. Now, we, we should expect nothing less from God. God speaks to us by name. God knows your name. And he knows what he wants you to do, and he knows where he wants you to go. 
The Spirit of God led these men all along the way. This was really the Holy Spirit's first missionary journey to take the gospel into the world, and Paul and Barnabas were the vessels. How many of you want to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit? Oh, I tell you, I long to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit selects every single Christian to do a certain thing. And I believe he knows your name, he'll call you by your name, and he'll lead you and guide you if you avail yourself to him. In Acts 15, we find another situation where the Holy Spirit spoke. There was a doctrinal issue the church leadership needed to rule on. And the Bible says that they made their decision based, among other things, on what seemed good to the Holy Spirit. What seemed good? In other words, the decision they came to, the Holy Spirit, amen it. Now, can I save you thousands of dollars in counseling right now? Can I save you a lot of money and a lot of tears? Listen, don't ever take a, a, a step or a course of action that the Holy Spirit cannot amen. It seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit and they made their decision based on that. So the Holy Spirit gave them a peace. And they made their decision based on that peace. In Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 7, the second missionary team of Paul and Silas, instead of Barnabas this time, Paul and Silas, were warned not to enter Asia. Now watch this. First, the Holy Spirit selected men. Then he led them to a location. Then he gave his leadership peace about a certain doctrinal decision. And now we see the Holy Spirit warning his people, warning his children not to go a certain course. It says, next, they traveled through Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had told them not to go into Asia at that time. Here they are. They're sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads them to locations. They start to go into a particular location, and the Holy Spirit rose up and warned them not to do it. The Holy Spirit is a living, breathing reality in our lives, church. And He knows every step you take. He knows every thought you think. He knows every course of action you're taking. He knows what's on your mind. He knows if you start to take a step in the wrong direction. And He will rise up within you and say, nope. And wisdom says you listen to the Holy Spirit. Wisdom says you learn to obey the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit warns you not to go a certain course, guarantee you obey Him because if you go the course He's telling you not to, there's going to be tears and there's going to be regret and there's going to be sorrow over it. Now notice in these examples, the Holy Spirit directly led the church in tough times. Persecution was sweeping the land. They were being imprisoned, martyred, chased down, tracked down, hunted. And yet the Holy Ghost, here He is leading His people directly, clearly, consciously, all through the tough times. His missionaries were guided where He wanted them to go. And in the church, when decisions needed to be made, they were made according to what seemed good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a reality in this church. When I pray over the services every single time, uh, on Saturday nights, I'm always in prayer. And on Saturday nights, I always pray, Lord, please walk into that service tomorrow by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Walk in there and change people. Walk up and down among the aisles and touch them and set them free and, and do what they, what they cannot do on their own. I pray for change to be broken. I pray for people to be saved. I pray that I'm a spectator watching the Holy Spirit move because I know He's a person and He's got a plan every time we meet. We ought to be excited about that. Give the Lord praise for that. I'm telling you. But even though direct guidance is real, and it is a reality, I believe in the direct guidance of God. Listen to me carefully now. Here comes the pastor in me, and a shepherd protects his sheep. And here comes the pastor in me. Direct guidance can be tricky because it's so easy, and I want to say so easy, for your own wishes, your own presumptions, your own will, your own desires to masquerade as the Holy Spirit. In fact, it can even be dangerous. I've seen people's lives totally destroyed by feeling like God was telling them to do something and not knowing the Word well enough or for, for any number of reasons, they've stepped out on what they thought was the Holy Spirit's guidance, and it wasn't. And I've seen marriages destroyed and families destroyed and people never darken the door of a church again. They were so disillusioned about following what they thought was the Holy Spirit, and it was not. I want you to know that God has given us gray matter in between our two ears and he expects us to know some things about guidance he expects us to have some wisdom and we've got to have wisdom if we're going to walk in the divine direct guidance of god now the story is told of an old sea captain who uh, on moonless dark or cloud covered nights used three harbor lights he had set up himself to safely guide his way into the harbor. He had set up these three lights to safely guide himself into the harbor when he couldn't see good or when the weather was bad. And he had positioned these lights in such a way that when he was entering the harbor accurately, the three lights would line up one behind the other and merge where the three became one. And when those three lights had come together as one, he knew he was entering the harbor in the accurate direction. But if he saw two lights or three lights and they had not merged, then he knew he was headed in where there were dangerous rocks and he would be shipwrecked. So he set these lights up that every time when the ship was in the right direction, those three lights would pull together like this and line up one behind the other. And when there was just one light, he knew he was headed in accurately. I want to share with you three harbor lights to guidance today. If you're being led by what you think is the Holy Spirit, these three lights that I'm about to share with you will line up, will agree, will merge, will amen one another. And when these three line up, you can safely step out in faith that God is leading you. But let's see what they are. First one, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? The first harbor light is the Word of God. The Bible says, David prayed this prayer, and I love this prayer. He said, Lord, direct my steps by Your Word. Now, the Word of God is the number one numero uno light that you cannot transgress and that God will never contradict. Let me tell you something about God. God will never. The God we worship, the God that was in this place today and that's here right now, will never contradict His Word. He will never contradict the Holy Bible. 
This book and the leading of the Spirit will never clash. Not ever one time. No matter what you feel, and you know, in our day, we put a, we, we put a major premium on feelings. But boy, if you're led by feelings, you're already in trouble. Because your soul will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. There's nothing that can masquerade like the Holy Spirit more than your emotions. But the Word of God does not fail. It lives and it endures forever. No matter what you feel, what you think, what something looks like or seems like, or how convincing it is, if it contradicts the Word of God, you can run away from that thing knowing it's not God. Now, church, hear me on this one. You say, well, pastor, I feel it so strongly. So? But it seems so right. So? Well, how can it be wrong if it feels so right? Oh, it can be real wrong. But I think God has spoken to me in a dream. Well, you better subject that dream to the Word of God. Oh, I'm feeling nudged in my heart. You better subject that nudging to the Word of God. Because God will never contradict or lead you contrary to His Word. Mark it down. Remember I said that. I don't care what things look like or feel like or seem like. I can tell when y'all are thinking about something. It's just deathly quiet in here. Let me tell you a couple of things about God's Word. Can I tell you why you should trust this word? First of all, this Bible is not like any book in the whole earth. I want you to know that the Bible says about itself, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is given by the inspiration of God. Interesting word in the Greek language. It's theonoustos. Theo is, is the Greek word for God. Noustos is breathed out. When he, when he uses the word inspiration, the word that we translated into inspiration, he was saying that the Bible you hold in your hand, that Bible, that book, was literally breathed out by the warm breath of God. He spoke it. You open the pages, you can almost feel the breath of God coming off of it. It lives. Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are alive. This book is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. This book alone can divide between the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discern the true motives and thoughts and intentions of your heart. There is no book like this book. Let me tell you, it is so many light years beyond the Quran or any other religious book. This is the Word of God. He says all Scripture is given by God and it's profitable for four purposes in your life. Doctrine, how to live right. Reproof and correction, how to know if you're living wrong. And the last one, instruction, to equip you for good deeds. That's what this Bible is for. It is to lead you into a right way of living. It is to show you if you're living wrong. And it is designed to equip you so that you can go out and effectively do good deeds in the name of Jesus successfully. So the scriptures are God's breathed out love letter to you. I mean, I love the Bible. I can't tell you how many times a week it comforts me, speaks to me, builds my faith. If I start to feel rattled, I find someplace quiet and I open up my Bible 
and I start reading until I have peace like a river, joy like a fountain. I mean, I stay with it because it speaks to me. It, it builds my faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. If your faith is weak, you probably haven't been in the Word of God. Can I be honest with you today? The Word is given to pump your faith up, to make you feel like you can take a giant, to make you feel like and make you truly capable of moving a mountain. Don't walk around with anemic faith. Lord, we've got 30 different versions of the Bible. There's no excuse for it gathering dust on that table where you want everybody to see it when they come in. Open its pages. I'm still going to have somebody make me a Bible. It's going to happen someday where when I open it, they have installed a light in it so that when I open it, it goes, and you can see it. Because that's how I feel when I open up my Bible. I go, he said, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Thank God. The word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing of the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The word of God is good. We need to thank God for his word. He guides us by his word. Now, the second thing you need to know about the Word of God is the devil is going to attack God's Word in your mind and in your life. The devil is going to attack God's Word in your mind, in the theater of your mind, and in your life. In the very genesis of time, in the ancient Garden of Eden, we are first introduced to the serpent by what he says to Eve. And what is the first thing out of Satan's mouth? He attacked the Word of God in her life. He said, has God said? Are you sure, Eve, that God told you you shouldn't eat of that tree? Are you sure, Eve, that he told you the truth about it? He told you that if you eat of that tree, you would die. But God lied to you, Eve. God knew that if you ate that tree, ate of the fruit of that tree, that you would have wisdom to know good and evil. And you would be like God. And Eve, here's the real truth about the deal. And then he began to attack God. He said, he said, God doesn't want you to be like him. He's ripping you off, Eve. He's lying to you, girl. Don't you know God's not out for your best? Don't you know he's ripping you off? Don't you know he's running a number on you? Eve, if you would eat of the fruit of that tree, you would be like God. And she looked and saw that it was good for food. And the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life drew her to that fruit. And when she ate and she took it to her husband, the world was cast into a darkness and into a tragedy that we will never know until we're on the other side. How did he do it? He attacked the Word of God in her mind. He attacked the Word of God. I don't think he was standing there. Uh, uh, it says he was a serpent, but I don't think he was standing there with a tail and a pitchfork and a red scale suit on and showing his fangs and looking really bad i think he was looking i think he was looking seductive i think he was looking attractive i think he was looking charismatic i think he was looking appealing or she wouldn't have even listened to him being a woman i don't know of a woman who would listen to a snake i don't know many guys that would listen to a snake no i think he approached her as something attractive and appealing and, 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 and the way that they can, they can move and, and mesmerize, the snake charmer idea. 
And she ate. But how did it happen? He attacked the Word of God in her mind. He's going to attack the Word of God in your mind. You need to know that today. Four times in the wilderness, Satan attacked Jesus Christ by attacking the Word of God. It is written. Now, he always quoted the verse right, but he applied it wrong. He quoted the verse right, but he applied it wrong. And that's what the devil does. Listen carefully to me. Some of you are under, under temptation right now. You're in temptation to drugs or you're in temptation to alcohol or you're in temptation to immorality. You're in temptation to something that is trying to weave its way into your life, trying to bring you down, trying to convince you that what you have always thought was wrong is right. The devil is not a, a fool. He uses God's Word skillfully and diabolically. He does his most pernicious work by quoting half-truths, by misunderstanding the true meaning of a verse. He does this in order to lead you to believe that really it's quite all right after all if you indulge your flesh because you've never really understood the verse like you're starting to understand that troublesome verse now. That verse that's always hindered you and held you back from something sinful. The enemy will attack you. He'll try to convince you that you've always read it wrong, understood it wrong, thought about it wrong. And he'll, he'll, he'll skew it. He'll twist it. He says to Jesus, turn those stones into bread. He says to Jesus, standing on top of the temple, throw yourself off, for it is written. He'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. That was an exact, an exactly accurate quote of the verse, but it was totally applied wrong. And that's how the devil does it. He'll tell you all that stuff about sexual impurity, that wasn't true. All that stuff about shacking up with somebody when you're not married... That's just old-fashioned. You can go uh, dabble on those drugs. God understands. Or you love this person. So go ahead and, you know. And he'll try to get you to accept a skewed verse. He's going to attack the Word of God in your mind, saints of God. Jesus knew too well what he was up to, and at every point countered him with the Word of God. That's why I tell you, you better know this Word because the devil knows the Word and he's going to quote it to you. And he's going to do his best to bring you down. Now here's the second harbor light. Say the first harbor light is the Word of God. Second harbor light is the inner witness. The inner witness. The inner witness. It says in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, it says, don't worry about anything. Isn't that good? Let's say that together. Don't worry about anything. How many of you worried this week? Well, that's almost everybody. Isn't it so easy to break this verse? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. If you're worried about it, have you prayed about it? Tell God your needs, he goes on to say, and don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, here's what you will experience if you pray about it instead of worrying about it. If you pray about it, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and His peace will keep your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice how he's focusing on the peace of God. When something that you're involved in is in the will of God, 
it will be accompanied by peace. If you start to go in a direction that is not in the will of God for you, you will lose your peace. And I mean you can bind and loose and fast and pray and name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. You still lose your peace. Because the Holy Ghost, I want you to say with me, the Holy Ghost leads by peace or the lack thereof. When you're seeking direction, you've got two options. You can worry about it or you can pray about it. And when you pray about it, God will guide your decision-making by His peace or by withdrawing His peace. Now, we've already seen this uh, principle at work in the Scriptures that we've read today. But here, read it again now, Acts 15, verse 28. They said, our decisions seem good to the Holy Spirit. What were they saying? His peace is with our decision. You know, when, uh, when uh, we were going to get this building, we came out and looked at this building I had a real estate guy bring me out to this building. And I'm going to tell you, uh, when you looked at it, you wanted to cry. It was rough. I had some of our people come and say, that one, the one, that one? I said, yeah, that's the one that I'm having a peace about. And I prayed and I said, Lord, we prayed for a year. We, we all said, Lord, where do you want us? He kept pointing back to this building and gave us a peace about it. Do you know that a couple of weeks ago, we went and signed on purchasing this building and all the way to sign on purchasing this building, we were flooded with a profound peace. And, and God was saying, amen, that the kiss of God was on it. The amen of God was on it. And you think I would see, uh, purchase a building, th that we would bring this church into the purchasing of a building that we didn't have peace about? I wanted to not have peace about it for a while there. I was wishing he would take his peace away. But he didn't. And it's the same way when something is not the will of God, you will lose your peace. And the more you pray about it, the more you'll lose your peace. And you will try to step towards it, and you'll lose your peace even more. God guides by peace. The Holy Spirit, here's the idea behind the verse, the Holy Spirit acts like an umpire. He's the umpire in your heart. And pitches are coming at you. Life is throwing pitches at you. Options. And here comes a pitch, an option, a choice, a decision. And if that pitch is from the world, the flesh, or the devil, the Holy Spirit will take away his peace and say, ball, out, bad pitch. But if the pitch is a strike and it's in the center of the will of God for you, the Holy Spirit will say, strike, good pitch, amen. And you'll be flooded with the peace of God. I'm so thankful for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is why some of you, you're trying to feel peace in a relationship and you can't. You're trying and you just can't seem to be totally at peace about it. Can I give you some advice? If you're in that situation, step out, seek God. Don't see the person. Seek the face of God and see what He gives you a peace about doing. Some of you have a job option and you don't have peace. But there's lots of money. But you don't have peace. It's easy to hear peace and feel peace when there's a lot of money. But I have seen people take steps in the direction of money and they were going against the peace of God and they lived to regret that decision because you never follow the call of money. You follow the call of the Holy Ghost if you're a child of God. You pray about everything. You pray about everything. Because you want the Holy Spirit to be able to amen. 
the steps you take. This is so real, church. I've looked at people in the eye. I knew they were not walking in the will of God. And I have said to them, if you do this, it's not in the will of God because it's going against the Word of God, and you know you don't have peace about it. Yeah, but I want it. Yeah, but I just want it. And I know that God will somehow bless this. God can't bless your mess. God can't bless that mess. Let me tell you what God can't bless. He can't bless sin. He can't bless something that's really out of his will. If he did, he wouldn't be a good daddy. You can't bless your children walking across a busy street no matter how much they beg. You've got to say, I love you too much, let you cross that street. They can, they can argue with you till the sun sets, but it doesn't matter because you don't want to see them as roadkill. So you say, don't walk across that street, and I'm never going to change my mind. It's a busy street. It's going to hurt you. They say, you know what? I want it. Okay. God's that way. God knows the end from the beginning. He knows the people you're talking to. He knows the job you're looking at. He knows the direction you're thinking about taking. Let the Holy Ghost give you an amen. The inner witness. Say, Pastor, I didn't come to church to be meddled with like this. Oh, the Holy Ghost is going to meddle with you if you're a child of God. He's a meddler. He's a major meddler. Holy Ghost is going to meddle with you for your good. Now, the third harbor light and the last one is circumstances. So here we are. It's okay with the Word of God. We, we can see that where we're wanting to go is totally within the range of the amen of the Word of God. And we have the inner witness. We have a peace that God is not against this decision. There's two harbor lights that have merged, but you've got to have the third one. And here it is, circumstances. Circumstances need to come together. If God is leading you a certain direction, let me promise you, doors will open to make a way. If God is leading you to do a certain thing, listen, He's in charge of all of life. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He is able to, to move circumstances and open doors so that what the Word of God is amening and what the inner witness is amening is possible for you to do because the door is open. Jesus said, I open and no man shuts, and I shut and no man opens. I have never been led by God to do anything ever that there wasn't the amen of the Word, the amen of the Holy Spirit, and where circumstances opened up and a way was made for me to walk through what I felt God was telling me to do. Now, what do you do when, when you've got the amen of the Word of God and you've got the amen of the Holy Spirit, the peace within you, and, and no door is open? Can I tell you that what God is telling you right there is wait. Give it time. When God called me to preach, I'm telling you, I was burning with a desire to preach like nobody's business. It got so bad, I went out into the woods, way out in the woods, and I preached to any living thing that could hear me. I preached Isaiah. I preached Jeremiah. I preached John 3.16. I believe there are saved squirrels <laughs> from that time, <laughs> from that time when I was out there, just, I just had to say the word, just had to say it. Had to let it out. Had to preach it. Had to let it go somewhere, so I let it go to the woods. 
birds, squirrels, rabbits, they all heard the gospel. And here's what I couldn't understand. Here's the world perishing. I know that what I want to do is in the Word, and I know I've got the inner witness, but how come there's no open doors? You know what? It wasn't time. It wasn't time. So I had to wait, and I waited. And oh, a couple of years later, I did some preaching here and there, but not like I wanted to. A couple of years later, a group of people invited me to go down to East Texas, start a little bitty Bible study with 10 people that mushroomed into a church of 500. You're going to meet, I believe, the pastor who is there now here tonight. Went down there, and we prayed over that thing for a year. You talk about not wanting something to be the will of God. This was Mayberry. There was no mall. There were no restaurants. I mean, you went through the town in one minute flat. You couldn't figure, what do these people do? What do they do with their time? But Kathy and I, even though we didn't want to hear it, the Holy Spirit said, that's what I'm telling you to do. And so we went. The door opened, and I preached until I was hoarse half the time. I mean, I got my desire, but it took waiting. God's not a divine tease. He's not telling you to do something. He's not eventually going to give you an opportunity to do. But you've got to wait on Him. So here's the three harbor lights. When these line up, when the Word of God says, Amen. When the Holy Spirit says, Amen. And when the circumstances and the door opens up, you can step out in faith because God is guiding you. Run it through those three sifters and you'll be saved a lot of tears. Amen? I expect God to guide you. God's guiding some of you right now, and others of you, you're about to be introduced into the Spirit-filled life, the adventure of Spirit-filled living, which part and parcel of is to be guided by God. Can we stand together? Everybody say, God guides. He's going to guide me. And if you don't know what the Word of God says about something, come to somebody like myself or another spiritual leader and ask them. I'm amazed at some of the things that people actually believe are God. Actually believe it's God because they don't know the Word. God's going to guide you. Holy Spirit's here today. How many of you know He'll guide you in tough times? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you may lose your job, it could happen. You may be in a situation and say, Lord, what am I supposed to do? You wait on God. God's going to speak to you. God's going to direct you. And He's got the best plan. Can I pray for you, Father? I thank you for the blessing of God on this congregation. I thank you for the reality of the Holy Spirit who has guided me, Lord, for 37 years. And I thank you that He's guiding your people. And I pray, Lord, for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with everyone in this room. Now, if that's your desire, could I ask you to lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, guide me by the Holy Spirit. Right into the will of God. Help me to be sensitive to your voice. Help me to be sensitive to the nudge of the Spirit on my heart. Help me to have the wisdom to run what I think is you through the sifters, through the harbor lights. And make sure 
I'm coming into the harbor safely. In the name of Jesus, let's say God has a plan for me. Amen. Let's sing.